0: Well, if you have your Bible open, you have your sermon notes in front of you, you will see that we are today coming to the conclusion of our fall preaching series. We have been together talking about thinking Christianly about all of life, and we've been doing that for eight weeks, and we remember Abraham Kuyper's fantastic statement, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That is, he owns it all. He owns it all. It is his world. And so we have spoken together about thinking Christianly regarding culture and truth and politics and marriage and gender and race. Last week we spoke of talking Christianly in a world that is divided. And then today, as you see, trusting God in a world of flame, And specifically, the gospel necessity of both sorrow and joy. And it is to that topic I'd like to turn our attention today. Trust. Trust. With both sorrow and joy. Um, We like the world of joy, don't we? Joy is wonderful. Typically, we experience joy. It's a wonderful emotion. When life is going well and things are are happy and at rest and peace. And sorrow uh, seems to come our way often as well. And I'd like to talk about this today. Now, just in terms of the words that I'm going to use, I am going to use sorrow and lament uh, freely and perhaps interchangeably today, though I don't see them as 100% equal in terms of their word range. Sorrow, I think, a term for a wonderful emotion and God-given emotion when there is loss, sometimes a loss related to death, sometimes things related to, my goodness sakes, a pandemic. We have all experienced loss this year. Uh, Many of us have lost loved ones in this calendar year. But the losses that come with upset schedules and things that are part of our daily rhythms, there are people, part of our church family, who have struggled with depression and sadness And isolation and difficult health circumstances that often mingle together, health concerns that that cause a person with a virus running through a culture to want to hold back and so face isolation. God's people were intended to be together, I believe. And difficulty and sorrow, loss of activity, loss of normal has been part of our year throw in a little dose of politics, and hey, there's a lot of people lamenting, depending on uh, how that worked out for you. So today I'd like to do some things. I'd like to think together about this. I'd like to think biblically about this, and certainly not exhaustively like all of our other topics, but I'd like to think biblically about this business of sorrow and lament. And one of the nuances I want to draw is sorrow Um, certainly an emotion that we feel and rightly so. Lament, I believe, is is, 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 I'm going to use it, is a little more of an action term. That is, you're doing something with your sorrow. You're doing something about it. In scripture, often you find lament as an activity, a writing, a singing, a reflecting, praying. People are doing something with their sorrow. So, Perhaps some nuances we will, we will explore as well. To do that, I'm going to look with you at two paragraphs in 2 Corinthians, make some observations about this business of sorrow and joy, and then I would like to shift to the Old Testament and visit the, the Psalms and pick up the language of the Psalm writers in the process of lament, okay? That's my plan for the morning. I'd love to pray for us if you'd join me in this, and we'll trust our time to the Lord. Father as always the opening of your word together as a church family is a, is a wonderful privilege and delight. Uh, it is here that we we meet with you the living God and we invite the spirit of God to use the word of God to draw us close to you the person of Jesus the son of God our savior redeemer and friend. I pray that today as we spend these moments in the text that you would encourage us and equip us as well As we walk alongside others who may be in a season of lament, even if we are not, that you would help us to be better equipped to be godly counselors and friends. So help us now in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll let you read that paragraph called Today's Topic. Um, I take a swing at some poorly done lament. Uh, Sometimes in the name of Christianity, people talk about expressing their anger at God or lament to God in a way that I think is beneath the dignity of the God of the Bible, and I could talk about that a bit, but I will not. I want to go straight to 2 Corinthians 1 and read these two paragraphs that will be our, our focal point, verse 3 down through verse 11, as together we hear the word of God. So Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again you also must help by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. All right, these two paragraphs, I, I hope well-known to us, often a text that people look to uh, in ans- at answering the question of why God allows or brings suffering into our lives. And we look here rightly. Uh, in the first paragraph, we quickly extrapolate that God brings suffering our way because we then become vessels of comfort for others. Good point, that's true. And then we look toward verse 9 in the second paragraph. God brings suffering our way so that we will learn not to rely on ourselves but on God, to trust in a greater way. Yes, indeed. And we do well to think about deeply those two reasons. In, in looking at the text with those two things, However, I would not want us to overlook the depth of sorrow, and stress, and indeed lament that the Apostle Paul is expressing. That, I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, right? The guy can walk on, well, he can't walk in water. Jesus walked on water. But Paul's right behind him. Right? I mean, Paul. It's Paul. Come on. He's quite a, he's a guy. He's a giant of the faith, man. So he says... Very vulnerable here. We don't want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened <clears throat> beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Can you imagine? That is a <clears throat> that is a substantive statement. I mean, we looked at this and we didn't know if we were going to make it. Indeed, he says, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. Heaven had spoken and we weren't coming out of that alive. That's how he felt. They felt. And again, verse 10, he calls it a deadly peril. And then he says, please pray for us. Verse 11. Now, our circumstances are markedly different from the Apostle Paul's. We look at his big list of things he suffered, um, shipwrecks and all kinds of things. And we have not been there we face other things and I know that many whether with larger affliction or small have felt at some time in some way I'm just not sure I'm going to make it I don't know if I can carry this I don't know what to do I don't know how I'm going to get out of this oh God help Sometimes that has been uh, brought about by loss or difficulty or stress or family things. Uh, Your parents drive you crazy. Your kids drive you crazy. Uh, Somebody else drives you crazy. Something related to work, health, and you name it. And you say, oh Lord, this is getting really old. Some of us who have had kids, know that as children, they face things that seem like the end of the world to them. Um, Spilled chocolate milk can bring lament, can't it? And we can quickly resonate with that because chocolate milk indeed is a valuable commodity, Uh, spoken as a chocolate milk aficionado. Uh, If I spilled my chocolate milk, I perhaps would lament as well. Um, Washing that stuff down the drain, cleaning a paper towel. I mean, seriously, I have been known to... Try to salvage spilled chocolate milk. I mean, it's on the counter, I know, but what are you going to do? I mean, you're not going to throw that stuff away, are you? And we lament when we are young. Our milk is spilled. Woe is us. Life is over. My brother and my sister ate my M&Ms. Woe to me. I'm lamenting. We lament for a lot of reasons. We lament when our things are damaged, when our stuff breaks, when the roof leaks, When the car makes a funny noise and turning up the radio doesn't help, um, we lament. But I suspect that Paul is not facing spilled milk or squeaky wheel or leaky roof. Now, there's other things that cause us to say, oh, Lord, I'm not sure I can do this. Lament. Lament. Um, I want to look with you at these four things. If you look at the sermon notes I have for you, I think these are reflected in this text and I'll refer here uh, to this text and to others. Uh, And I want to say four statements here about a life of faith and then later four statements about godly lament. And I, I, I say these things primarily to reassure us. As you walk a life of faith. And that's your intent before God. I want to live a life of faith. I want to walk with God here. So I'm saying to us, a life of faith is one that isn't attended by seasons of both sorrow and joy. Both of these fit in a life of faith. And I, I, I believe that sometimes in the Christian life we're so captured by the idea of joy. Or, listen, we mistake the idea that the Christian life should always be to use a different word, happy, happy, happy. Aren't you happy today? Are you happy? Are you happy? And if you're not, then my goodness sakes, there's something wrong with your life of faith. You need to, you know, cheer up like the old chorus, cheer up ye saints of God, there's nothing to worry about. There's a, there's a chorus by that. I could sing it. I learned it years ago, but I won't. Cheer up ye saints of God, there's nothing to worry about. Really? A boot. Yeah, you know that song. Yeah, Exactly. Nothing to make you feel afraid. Really? Is that true? Huh, I'm not so sure. Seasons, I say, of both joy and sorrow. Now, reflect with me here. Uh, Sometimes they come as separate seasons. Uh, Maybe a loss of a loved one and you you find yourself in a season where you're just sad. Rightfully so. You're grieving. And there's a marked season Sometimes you're in a different place and just everything seems to be clicking on all cylinders. I know it lasts about three minutes, but nonetheless, treasure it when it comes. May I say, seasons sometimes are distinct, but, but more often, these seasons overlap, don't they? Mingling, the songwriter says, mingling toil with peace and rest, old hymn. More often, they're both. So there's joy and there's sadness and Soundness, sadness, and joy, and lament, and, and excitement, and pleasure, and, and sadness, and lament again, and this is the life of faith. I, I want to disabuse us of the idea that a life of faith, really trusting God, means that you hurry up through those seasons of lament and just trust God more. Maybe you do need to trust God more. You might. But trusting God more doesn't mean that you ought not be sad. You understand? That's really what I want to push on. Now, I, I look with you quickly to turn the page to 2 Corinthians 6. I put that, that text in embedded here. And I, I'm going to just browse it with you and focus on verse 10, if I may, for the sake of time. Paul is talking about his own life. 2 Corinthians is a very a personal and vulnerable book. Uh, and he is contrasting, starting verses 3 and 4, the, the experiences of life. And he says, we lived these before you. And in his listing, he addresses things of difficulty, like verse 5, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger, bad things. Who likes that? That's the sorrow part. And then he lists good things. Purity, knowledge, patience, good speech, the Holy Spirit. So joy, joyful things. And then he comes to verse 10, and he's setting back and forth the, the good, the difficult Back and forth. And he says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Again, I would suggest to you that both of these belong in a life of faith. Sorrow and rejoicing. I gave you a couple of other texts here supporting my phrase, Pain and sadness are not necessarily evidence of God's displeasure or lack of trust. And yes, indeed, we quickly would say, according to the book of Hebrews, there are times that God disciplines his children, and there is sorrow that sometimes comes when we disobey God. Indeed. But I'm saying here that not all seasons of sadness and not all pain is an evidence of God's displeasure or discipline or your lack of faith. Sometimes they come from the hand of God. Sometimes we lament, not because we asked for it, but because we live in a broken world and things hurt. And I find that reflected, of course, in Job 37.3. I like it in the NAS, uh, the way it's phrased a little bit better. Uh, whether for, I'm going to misquote it, I realize, whether for his world of loving kindness, etc., he causes it to happen. John 9.3 is another example of this, where you find Jesus interacting with the man born blind, and people quickly looked at him and said... Who sinned? Who sinned that this would be so? And Jesus says, no, it isn't that at all. It's for the glory of God. God has a purpose here. This isn't because anybody sinned. So I'm pressing back at the idea that seasons of difficulty would automatically mean because you asked for it or you didn't trust God enough. Second little bullet point, a life of faith does not need to hide sadness, nor should sadness be shamed by other well-meaning Christians. I so appreciate the vulnerability of the Apostle Paul in this book. If you read Second Corinthians just thinking about emotion and sadness and Paul being uh, vulnerable, you'll find a lot to, in this book. It's here a lot. And you certainly see it in verses 8 and 9 as we've read it. Um, there's no need to hide sadness. Sadness. I remember, as I think about sadness uh, in my own life, uh, there are s- moments, seasons, occasions that quickly come to my mind, some that you easily speak of and others that you do not. Um, I remember 2002 as a season of sorrow and lament and difficulty um, on several fronts. Uh, we had just come here to Sunset Bible Church um, in the other building over yonder, um, things very different at the time. But in 2002, um, my wife's brother died. And of course, that brings all kinds of upset to a family, young, um, a, a lot involved in that. That was followed right on the heels of that with four months or so of difficulty within the church, meaning church discipline and confrontation and sin and some stuff to deal with that was really hard. And it meant some meetings with that were difficult and painful and people yelled at one another. And I was there and I didn't like it at all. But it had to be done. And it involved confrontation and a whole manner of things. And then after that, my dad died. It was a great six months. Huh. All the issues of that. I remember that, I think it was that spring having lunch with a couple other pastors, one of whom, of course, the hosting of the, the, the lunch, older guy, um, older than me, that is. And, um, you know, he's asking the question, how y'all doing, what's going on? And I, I don't know what I said, but I said something about, you know, this is really lousy. And his diagnosis, I'll never forget it. He said, Jay, you know what? You're sad. I kind of knew that. But it helped to have him call it out and give me permission. You're sad. I think you should be sad for a while. What did he not say? Cheer up. Buck up. Oh, come on. You'll get over it. It's not that bad. I mean, come on. Live with joy. Come on, Mosser. Hair on the chest time. Get up. He didn't say that. He didn't say it. And I remember that. He cared for my soul as one friend to another. He called it out, validated it, gave me permission. Uh Huh? So that's how you do that. That was good. I remember it. I appreciated it a lot. Third bullet point. Well, shamed. Sometimes we shame. Don't do that. Third bullet point. A life of faith is a life turned toward God. I want you to hear me say that more than once today. I will. It'll come up again. A life of faith is one turned toward God, our true deliverer, the one on whom we've set our hope. That's how Paul speaks of, of God in verse in verse 9, in verse 10. God, who raises the dead, he remembers. He's turned toward God, not away from him. He doesn't have his back toward God. He's turned toward him. He is the one on whom we've set our hope. He'll deliver us. If anybody can deliver us, it's God. So, so you, you understand this, right? Often, you, you, you steer a car by where it's aimed. It's cool that way, isn't it? You have a steering wheel. You, you point it some direction. You learn that when you're young and you watch your parents drive. That's how you get it to go someplace. In our lives, when we sorrow, when we lament, we can turn one way or another. We can turn toward God or we can turn away from him. There's a difference, isn't there? And I am saying in the life of faith, it isn't that you get rid of lament or sorrow. It's that you turn yourself toward God and you lament or sorrow in his presence. Again, we'll talk about how you do that in a minute. But you you do this in the face of God rather than away from him in anger. Now, Paul does that. I'm just saying, he does. Right here, what we're going to see in the Psalms in a minute. Paul does it. He is the one who will deliver. I know he will. My confidence is in him. I'm holding on. I'm holding on to him. A life of faith, I say, is lived in community. It should be, I think, best, I should have inserted. A life of faith is best lived in community, both in sorrow and in giving thanks. It's better to, to, to give thanks um, with people uh, if you're watching an exciting football game and it's nip and tuck, it's kind of miserable if you're by yourself. I mean, you jump up and down and no one cares. There's no one there. <laughs> Much better to jump up and down and high five and eat bean dip with, if you must, with friends. Same thing with sorrow. And I don't know how that, that's kind of an individual thing. Some of you are better oriented at grieving or Lamenting or walking through difficulty with a group. Maybe that's your community group or something. Others of you, it's with a close friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it isn't a spouse because maybe the spouse is the one you're lamenting. That's not funny. <laughs> maybe it's another person. Maybe it is a, a friend who understands you and knows you. And you lament. And... Hopefully, that person doesn't try to fix you. They don't view it as their job to get you to snap out of it. But they commit to walking with you. Now, there's a value. I remember reading a book by Joe Bailey. Um, Joe Bailey, a pastor and so on. He, he lost a child, a son. And he, one of his books, he reflects on the chaos of that day. It's people came and told him these things. And He sat there and some came into his life and and spoke to him, read things to him and kind of, you know, patted him on the back. And he says, in his own words, I wish they would leave. Then he says, another came and sat beside me. Said a few things simply. A person who was able to be present prayed for me briefly And left. And I wish they had stayed. See? So in lament often we're not looking for someone to come along and help us to snap out of it. But a person to walk beside and care for our soul. That's good. That's good. I'm saying this in this first category a life of faith does not shun. Seasons of sorrow or lament. A life of faith is attended by both. Both come from the hand of a loving God. Now, I want to shift to this next section. And here, if you would turn back with me to the Psalms. There are, I've listed five. I'll make stops at six. To know the Psalms is to hear the language of lament often. Because there are a lot of Psalms that are Psalms of lament. Some of them are Psalms of community lament, um, a group, uh, the community. The Book of Lamentations, of course, is an amazing example of a lament. Many, though, many Psalms are Psalms of individual lament. They're a person saying, Oh God, help, help me, hear my cry, oh God. An individual. And so then, again, what I'm going to do is look at these psalms. I'm going to read a number of things and make some comments observations here. And I I think this will be for our good. So Psalm 13 is the first. This is what, it's a classic psalm of lament. There's a a consideration, anguish, there's emotion expressed. There's a call to God for help. And in this case, though not in every case, in this case, there is a resolution. It involves a commitment to trust, a commitment to remember, a commitment to, to trust God. So we read, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me. Do you notice the four time repeated phrase, How long? Oh Lord, how long will this be? How long will this take? Oh Lord, how long until you fix this? Here's how I feel. But you also notice, How long, oh Lord? This is not a fist shaken at heaven, this is not a rebellious cry. This is a humble, hurting heart turned toward God. Consider and answer me. Verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O God, O Lord my God, lift up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. You hear that? I don't know if I'm going to make it. Lest my enemies say, I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And then the confession, the remembering, confession of trust. But I have trusted in your loving or your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I will. No, God, I will. I will hold on to you, God. I will. And at the same time, we say, How long, Lord? How long? How long? Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. uh, These two, separated in our Bibles, probably intended to be one psalm at one time. Familiar to us because of verse 1 of Psalm 42. We sang that as a song uh, yesteryear, and then that's about it for Psalm 42. As a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. Great song. Nice. But he goes on, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Will they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. In other words, I remember how it used to be. I remember feeling close to God. I remember being in these wonderful times of worship. Oh, God, that was yesterday. Where did that go? Today, now, I say, verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Now, Verse, eight, verse 5, verse 11, and verse 5 of chapter 43, you'll notice, are all the same, which indicates some unity here between these two psalms. This is, in a sense, the psalm writer uh, counseling himself, if, if you will, speaking truth. This is a habit you should get into. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? hope in God for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God and then again my soul is cast down so this psalm writer is is talking to himself and saying hold on hold on to hope don't give up come on soul don't give up no God is here he sees he knows come on soul I don't know how you talk to yourself you do talk to yourself don't you you talk to yourself all the time. In fact, the number one counselor in your life is you. Yeah, that's true. You're in your own head all the time. Every time you interpret something, you're you're speaking to yourself. What an idiot! What not an idiot? Maybe he's late. Maybe she's maybe she didn't mean. Maybe boy, I can't believe she or he looked at me like that. Wow! Or no, it was wonderful. I can tell that there's a look of consternation. I should pray. You're talking to yourself. You're interpreting all of life by talking to yourself. Here's this counselor. Speaking to himself, saying, oh, ho- hold on, hold on, hold on. Hope in God, soul. Hope in God. Come on, Jay. Hope in him. This is a good habit. This is a really good habit. Psalm 130. Psalm 130. I didn't list this one, but I want to stop there anyway. There are many other psalms of lament, of lament that we could look to uh, with with a good, good outcome of that. Psalm 130 my soul waits for the lord is the title in my in my bible given to it a psalm of ascent sung going up to festival song going up to jerusalem out of the depths i cry to you o lord you see this o lord hear my voice let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy if you lord should mark iniquities o lord who could stand Lord, if you kept track of all my sin, if you treated me according to my failures, oh God, I have no chance. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman in the morning, more than watchman for the morning. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord. For the hope, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Out of the depths, out of the depths, I cry to you. Um, This song has been made into a song, if you keep track of such things. Um, Shane and Shane uh, has a song they sing, and I think some others sing it. Um, I will wait for you. It's this song. You should look it up. Find it on YouTube. Shane and Shane, I will wait for you. Out of the depths, I cry to you. It's good. It's good. Psalm 142 and 143. And then some observations and we'll be done. Psalm 142. Hear, hear the lament. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. You'll notice in the superscription, a little phrase at the beginning, a psalm of, or a mascal of David when he was in the cave. You picture this? You ever prayed in a cave? Yeah, I haven't, literally, but I sure have figuratively. With my voice, I cry to the Lord. Yes, when my spirit faints within me, you know know my way. In the path where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living attend to my cry. And again, Psalm 143, hear my prayer, O Lord. O God, hear me, please. Verse 7, answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Verse 8, make me know the way I should go. Deliver me. Verse 9, I fled to you for refuge. Do You see this? Okay, look at your sermon notes. Let me just make a couple observations here and recommendations for you, okay? In godly lament, we turn toward God, not away from him. If you're in a season of lament, make sure that your feet are turned toward the Lord and your heart open to him. Not against him. Not away from him. No, you turn yourself, your heart, your your soul, your spirit, you turn your whole self toward God. Charles Spurgeon, you perhaps know his name, you should, struggled with severe bouts of depression. Did you know that? What we would call today clinical depression. Months. Part of it, I think, is he... He pushed himself beyond what what most of us would consider reasonable. When he was working, he was working so much and giving out so much, he would end up at a place where he was utterly spent, just flat out had nothing left. Just nothing. I'm done. Just done. And he would need to go away, really, for months at a time to, to kind of get over it and then back in it. And I know sometimes we... Go beyond the limits God ever intended for us to live. Sometimes we look at other people and say, they're going faster and harder than me. What's wrong with me? Suck it up, Mosser. Let's go. And learning to be at peace with how God's wired you physically and emotionally is, is a is a real deal. How much can I do and be well with the Lord? Well, Charles Spurgeon ran out of gas often. In godly lament, we turn toward Toward him. Second, in godly lament, we honor God. We do not accuse him of evil or shake our fists at heaven. We do not put ourselves in God's place or demand things. It's one thing to say, oh God, help, and another thing to say uh, in anger to God, do it this way. Do it this way, God, you owe me. No, no, we don't do that. In godly lament, we honor him as God. Um, I think of Job here and God's rebuke, do you find delivered at the beginning of chapter 40 where God says, This will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? How do you like that? Will the fault finder contend? Go ahead, Job. Speak up, little man. Shake your fist a little higher there, buddy. Oh, you bound to earth. Whose life I hold in the palm of my hand. You shake your fist at me. Oh my child. No. Godly. In godly lament we honor him. In godly lament, number three, we express our emotions. Yes, we, we ask questions. How long as we've seen? Why? We pour out our hearts. Godly lament can increase our intimacy with God as we as we come to Him. It's okay to ask those questions, it is. But we do so with reverence and respect. Number four, we, in Godly the men, we, uh, we hold on to hope by remembering God's goodness in the past. We push back against despair and overwhelming darkness by calling to mind his past deliverance. One popular writer speaks of fighting for joy. Like fighting for joy. Pushing back against despair. No, I will not give in. And here, I appreciate the quote I give you in your community group notes. By Jerry Bridges. Um, It's on that fourth page of the notes you have in your hand. There's a quote from this book called Trusting God, and it's a good quote. You should think about it. Jerry Bridges says Trust is not a passive state of mind. It's not like you sit there like a piece of jello. There, I'm just trusting God. No. No, it isn't. It's a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold of the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. I believe he wrote that as his first wife was facing cancer and soon to die. Trust is not passive. It is active. So hold on to God. Hold on to God. I want to close with this. See the bolded statement there in your sermon notes? Nowhere is this more evident than in the gospel story of Jesus. Indeed. When you wonder if you can make it, when you wonder if God is present, you look to the gospel every single time. That's what you do. You look to the gospel. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 is a place to start. Where Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? Remember this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? See, there's hope. There it is. If God is for us, who can be against it? How do you know God is for me? Is you look to the cross and you see a Savior there meeting your greatest need by paying for your sin. At the cross, you see the love of God poured out for you like nowhere else. You see his presence with a hurting and broken world. You hear his lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me in the words of the psalmist? When you wonder if God is for you, look no further than Jesus. Look to the gospel. Look to the gospel whole number of things are under hearing and responding to God's word. I would love to have you consider, look through, pray through, talk through before your community group meeting. Um, but I would love to pray for us. Would you stand with me as we close our time in prayer? Father, I thank you for this church family. And I, I know I don't just guess. That there are those in the church family, and not just a few, who in some way or another, on some level, are in a season of lament, feeling sorrow and sadness and loss and loneliness, and some perhaps even listening, um, not present in the room, but sensing the profound aloneness that comes from sitting in a living room when you wish you were with God's people. And Father, I pray for all of us that you would turn our hearts to Christ, that our feet would be turned toward you, not away from you. Our faces toward you, saying, oh God, deliver. Oh God, help. Be present. And then know your comfort and your care even as we walk through a hard season. So Father, we do this in faith. We walk together. Pray that we'll support one another in these seasons. Be there for each other not give trite, meaningless words. Help us to be good counselors, good comforters to those you you put around us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. And we pray together in his name, amen.